if uh, we are a healthy church? How do we know if we are uh, doing the things God wants us to do and accomplishing what he wants to accomplish? Well, the only way we can answer that question is, what does the Bible say? And uh, uh, Peter, in a very famous sermon on the day of Pentecost, uh, said, uh, in the last days, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll preach. Uh, young people will dream dreams. And us old cusses uh, will see visions. And I will pour out my spirit upon my men servants and my uh, women servants, and they will preach. Uh, one of the evidences that this church has the favor of God and we're doing what we're supposed to do is he is pouring out his spirit on young people who grew up in this church. In this six-week sermon series, everyone you hear preach grew up in this church. And God poured out his spirit upon them. And they want to be part of what God is doing in their generation. But today we have an absolutely special occasion. Um, uh, Lexi's preaching today, and it's her first sermon. And I want you to give her a warm welcome. Hello, everybody. It is an absolute honor and privilege to be here with you today. I love this church so much, and I am so grateful for this opportunity. I want to start with a prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for each and every single person here and each and every single person listening online, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just blanket the room this morning, would blanket the church, Father. I I pray that uh, your presence would be here. I pray for each and every person here, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, we trust you. In your good son's name I pray, amen. I was listening to a sermon a few weeks ago, and um, the pastor asked a question. And I, I thought the question was funny. It kind of made me laugh because it was so ridiculous. He said, how many of us have lied to somebody we hope they wouldn't think we're a liar. And I was like, what a ridiculous thing that I for sure have done. Have you ever said you were going to do something and then you forgot? And someone asked if you did that thing and you lie so they don't think you're flaky? Or have you ever made plans on a good day and then the plans come up and it's not such a good day anymore? And you lie to get out of it. About um, this past Christmas, I bought my husband a Fitbit. And it's a watch that counts your steps and tells you your heart rate and tells you how you sleep. And a little bit after I bought him one, I got one, and then my brother got one, and my mom got one, and we all got one. 
And we found out that you can be friends on the app. And once you become friends on the app, there's this automatic leaderboard. And it tells you who's the most fit. And it just so happens that I'm at the bottom of that leaderboard. And I also found out that if you take your watch and you just like shake it a couple of times, <laughs> you get steps. And so sometimes I feel a little bit tempted to fib a little bit about how many steps I get in a day. What about the number of times that you say, I'll never do that again? Or you promise that I'll never say that to you again? And in inevitably when that moment comes up, you do the thing that you said you wouldn't do. Or you don't say the thing that you said you would say. And you become defensive and selfish. Why are we so quick to lie rather than tell the truth? Why are we so quick to do the wrong thing when what we really desire is to do the right thing? Why are we so quick to trade our integrity for our self-image. Sometimes I feel like we care more about looking like a good person than actually being one. And the pressure to compromise rather than to protect our integrity is never-ending. Compromising your integrity in some jobs is how you get ahead. It's how you do your job. It's how you succeed. And we compromise our integrity because we want to avoid looking bad. We want to avoid feeling shame. We want to avoid feeling failure or consequences. We want to avoid hurting people. Have you ever been around somebody that you just know the stories they're going to tell? Like, you just know that everything that comes out of their mouth is probably not true. They've lied so much that it's become a part of their character. If we're not careful, it can become who we are. And integrity isn't just something that we came up with to make people behave or to create order in society. It's God's good idea that he wrote on our heart. And the moment you find yourself wrestling with, I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't say this. I really shouldn't go here. I really shouldn't look at this, but I'm going to anyway. Or the moment you find yourself wrestling with, I really should. I should be the one to make it right. I should be the one to apologize. But I'm not going to. The moment you find yourself wrestling with that is the moment you encounter the Holy Spirit. The other day, my husband and I were having an argument. And while I was having an outward conversation with him, I was also having an inward conversation with God. And I heard him saying, don't say that. Don't say that thing to him. You know it's going to hurt his feelings. And then I said it. And I heard God whisper, just drop it. Don't turn it into a fight. It's not worth it. Let it go. And then I didn't drop it. <laughs> I turned it into a fight. That internal battle that we struggle with, that voice that says, don't look at that. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the people that you love. The voice that says, don't lie. Don't lie again. You're going to break their trust. 
that voice that says, own up to that mistake that you made. Don't try to cover it up. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit, reminding us of who God wants us to be. And it's up to us whether we listen or not. Andy Stanley, a pastor from Atlanta, Georgia, defines integrity like this. He says, integrity is simply just doing the right and noble thing because it's the right and noble thing. And I like that definition. It's doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. But I want to change it a little bit. And I want to say, integrity is doing the right and noble thing because it's who I am. I think every single one of us have been hurt by somebody who lacks integrity. But the hard truth is, if we're being honest, I think every single one of us have hurt somebody because of our lack of integrity. And some of you may be thinking, oh, I'm, I'm that first one. I'm the one who's always hurt. I'm the one who's always trying to do the right thing, and they're always lying to me. And I'm always trying to make it right. And I understand that feeling. I, I recognize that feeling. I've grown up in this church my whole life, like Doc said. I was taught good virtues and beautiful ideas about God. I grew up in a family who values honesty and respect and, and integrity. And my whole life I've focused on how do I do the right thing? How do I be the right kind of person? How do I do the right thing at school? How do I do the right thing with my friends? How do I do the right thing with my family? How do I do the right thing here? And my blind spot has been, where have I gone wrong? I've been so focused on what's good and what's right that I've been blind to some of the defects in my character. And it's pretty hard to admit that you're wrong when you feel wrong. Right? It's pretty hard to admit your side when their side seems so much worse. It's easy to justify your anger, but in other people, it's unacceptable. It's hard to see where you're wrong when you're the one that got hurt. Integrity is this beautiful idea that God placed on our hearts, and I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Look at the very first sentence he says. He says, I don't really understand myself. If integrity is a part of who we say we want to be, and we don't know who we actually are, how can we ever have it? It all starts with our identity. Who are we? When I was in high school, our lead pastor, Doc, started mentoring me. And he asked me three questions that I still think about often. He said, what do you want? What do you truly want out of your life? Why do you want it? And who's going to help you get there? I remember not wanting to superficially answer those questions with things like, I want to go to school, or I want to be successful, or I want to be mar get married someday. someday. I remember wanting to, to really answer them. 
And I remember I didn't answer him that day. I, I thought about it, and I prayed over it for about a week. What I wrote down is that I wanted to follow the purpose that he put in my life, and I wanted to go all in to become a worship leader. I was serving in the high school ministry at the time, and what I really wanted to do was create a culture of worship in this church that allowed everyone to feel safe, that allowed everyone to feel free, that ultimately we could come into the presence of God each and every week and give him the proper worth, value, honor, respect, glory, praise that he deserves. And I could picture what I wanted. I remember drawing it on a sheet of paper. I looked for it everywhere to show you, but I couldn't find it. I drew, um, I drew a stage full of singers and musicians that were just fully giving their lives, their hearts, and their gifts to Christ. I drew a room full of people that were just authentically worshiping. And once I knew what I wanted, my decisions became so much more clear. Once I knew what I wanted, I knew what I needed to get my degree in. Once I knew what I wanted, I knew the people that I needed to ask to teach me and to mentor me. Once I knew what I wanted, I knew that I needed to figure out who I needed to be right now. I knew that following God's plan would mean that I was going to be held to a higher standard, and I was going to need to adjust my life. And so Saturdays became a lot more quiet, and I decided to stay in instead of go out so I could bring my best self for Sundays. I was single and not really looking because instead of trying to find the right person, I wanted to become the right person. I made a decision to not have one foot in and one foot out. And so serving in the high school ministry became leading the worship team there. And that became starting a new campus with Katie Brown in Old Brooklyn. Shout out to Old Brooklyn. And that became the opportunity to be here with all of you. And I'm so grateful for that. So I want to ask you, what do you want? What do you truly, truly want out of this life? Why do you want it? And who's going to help you get there? And I encourage you to connect this with your purpose that God has put on your heart. I encourage you to connect these questions with your calling, because when it's connected to him, you'll be more likely to live the life that he's calling you to live. When it's connected to him, you'll be more likely to choose integrity over lying. When it's connected to him, you'll be more likely to take a look at your strengths and your weaknesses. What's going to happen is you're going to become less inclined towards anger and loneliness and self-righteousness. And you'll be more inclined towards grace and kindness, understanding, and become a little bit more emotionally stable. Be willing to take regular inventory of your life. And sometimes that inventory looks like, wives, how are you talking about your husbands when they're not around? How are you talking about your husbands behind their back? How are you talking about your kids? Husbands, how are you talking about your wives behind her back? When you're with your guy friends, what do you say about her? 
What do you say about your kids? Sometimes personal inventory looks like asking yourself the question, do I feel like I have to hide? Do I feel like there's a part of my life that I have to tuck away to protect? Do I feel like there's a part of my life that I only do this thing with these people? Or I can only do this thing if they're not there. If we aren't anchoring our identity in integrity, it's going to be really easy to compromise it. We're going to look at short-term comfort instead of long-term value. Paul goes on to say, But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. Oftentimes we focus on our behavior, right? I have to stop this. I need to quit that. I need to do better in these. But the truth is, it's not behavior modification. It's actually heart modification. Because our behaviors reflect our hearts. Have you ever been really defensive? We're here like, why are you even asking me that question? I don't know what you're talking about. Stop talking. What are you even doing? You get all defensive. And when you really look at it, it's just an insecurity. Are you getting angry all the time? Short-fused, short-tempered? And when you really take a deeper look at it, it's just a fear. And it's disguising itself as anger. Have you looked for love in the wrong places and jumped from person to person to person, but at the heart of it, what you're really longing for is a relationship with Christ? Parents, maybe instead of pointing out all of the behaviors and being quick to jump on what you don't like, I think sometimes our kids need to be asked, are you okay? How's your heart? Is there something deeper going on here? Paul goes on to say, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. It's really hard to separate our character from our failures when we're living in the wrong identity. When we don't know who we are, when we don't know what God says about us, it's very easy to identify ourselves with our mistake. Sometimes when we make mistakes, we believe that we're a bad person instead of saying, I just did a bad thing. This makes it really hard to have integrity because we're living inside of our shame and our guilt and our regret. We don't want people to think that that's who we are so we hide, we protect, and we lie. It's a lot easier to admit you're wrong when you know it was a mistake and it's not who you are. It's easy for me to say to my husband, Jerry, I'm sorry that I said those things to you. I'm sorry that I was short and angry. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. And I can make that right with him. But what's harder for me to admit is uh, when we're in an argument with anybody about some stupid insignificant fact 
I really like to be right. And when I'm wrong about that thing, the other person's right, I can't swallow that too well. It's hard for me to admit. It's a lot harder for someone who has an insecurity to admit mistakes because they fear that the truth will reveal their character. If you see your character as a liar, a cheater, an addict, it's much harder to admit when you mess up because it's no longer a mistake that you've made, but it's an identity that you've created for yourself. And if you struggle with seeing your identity in a good light, can I just remind you of who Christ says you are? He says you are a branch of the true vine. He says you are his friend. He says you are redeemed. He says you are accepted, you are chosen, you are beautiful, you are wonderful. He says you are forgiven, you are complete, you are called, you are safe, you are his child. I want to help you see that our mistakes no longer define us. When our identity is solid, we desire to make things right, we desire to be kind, we desire to show grace, we desire to be honest and have integrity. Paul goes on to say in verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. But I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we're walking in the right identity, there's a hope in Christ. When we're walking in the right identity, there's a new way. There's a new lens. There's a new hope for the future that he's called you to. There's a hope to leave the past behind and move forward with the future that he's called us to. You know that heavy load that you've been carrying? That, that lie that you've been walking with for eight years? that mistake that you made, that thing that you said, that person that you messaged, that all of that stuff that you've been holding for so long. Christ says, give it to me. I'll take it. I'll carry it for you. You be free. You go walk with a new posture. You go live in a new identity. You go clothe yourself with integrity and be free from all this junk. And church, I'm here to tell you today that this is not, this whole series that we've been going over is not a one and done self experiment. This is not tell a few people that you're sorry and you're good. This is not accept Christ as your savior, savior and go on living life as normal. Let's imagine our life as a garden. And through the years, we sometimes let the weeds grow. Maybe it's our anger, our resentment, our pride, our insecurities. And every now and then we walk in and we start pulling the weeds out. Maybe we go to counseling. Maybe we step into our faith in a new way, start clearing some of that out. But I think we all know that that doesn't mean that they're gone forever. That doesn't mean that 
that weed that you pulled out last year isn't going to pop up this year. doesn't mean that new ones won't show up that you've never struggled with before. I want to remind you that this is a daily, consistent, devoted walk to be someone that carries himself with integrity. This is minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And a walk with Christ should look like transformation. What I want for you is to notice a change. You look back and you remember when you were stuck in addiction. You look back and you remember when your marriage was falling apart. You look back and you remember when your kids weren't talking to you. You remember when you felt numb and apathetic towards life. You look back and you see how far you've come. You see how God has moved. You see the beautiful ways in which he's worked. And if you're in that season now, if you are struggling with your marriage, if you or someone you love is struggling with addiction, if you're just sad and lonely and you feel like there's no hope left, I encourage you to look back on your life. Look back at the ways that God has moved before so you can have the faith to say, I know that he can do it again. When my husband and I went on our first date, we spent the majority of our time talking in a coffee shop. We skipped all the small talk. We went straight to the heart. We talked about our past. We talked about our fears. We talked about our beliefs. We talked about our family dynamics. We didn't want to waste each other's time. We wanted to say, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. And that night he shared with me that he is a recovering addict. He told me that he spent about 10 years of his life addicted to opiates, and he had been about a year sober. He, he told me that five years ago, and for the past five years, I've watched him grow into the man that God has created him to be. I've watched him weed out all of the things that were holding him back. I've seen him fight for integrity. I've seen him fight for a new identity. I've seen him follow the call that God has so clearly placed on his heart. And I've been there every day where he didn't just put in the work once, but he put it in day after day after day. He looks at his garden every morning and says, God, what needs to come out? Lord, what's in here that's not who you've created me to be? And he does the work to pull it out. He's decided the kind of man that he wants to be, and he lives in it. He doesn't compromise it. That's my prayer for everyone listening today. That you can live a life of integrity because it's who you said you wanted to be. Because it's who God's created you to be. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this beautiful idea of integrity that you've written on our heart, Father. I pray that everyone listening today would have the courage to, to try these things that we've been learning the past few weeks, Father. I pray that everyone listening today would have 
uh, the courage to walk forward in a new way, to have a, an integrity that they've never had before, Father. Father, I know that sometimes we only know if we have integrity if it costs us. And Father, I pray that we could be brave enough to have integrity even when it costs us something. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you've called us to be, Father. And I pray that we can walk in a new light. Pray that we can walk in a new identity. Pray that we could look with a new lens. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We trust you. In your good son's name I pray. Amen.